Let's stand and take our Bibles, please, tonight. I want us to read two passages of Scripture so you have a little bit of background where we're at this evening. I want you to go first with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then we're going to go to Acts uh, chapter 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Acts chapter 18. Now, I've worked on my mess. I spent several hours working, preparing on it, and I've preached many times from Acts 18. I wanted to give something a little bit fresh and different, not repeat something to you. And uh, as I got working on it, because uh, I've preached it before, there's so much material there uh, and new stuff I have, I, I couldn't, I just thought, lo- lo- well, you know, I, I don't want to keep everybody here on Wednesday night for two hours here, amen? And I'm known to do that, so I thought I'd better break it up. So I'm breaking this message up into two messages. I pray it'll be a blessing, help to you. Those of you who will be attending the workers' conference or should be re- uh, attending the workers' conference, I hope you'll take good notes tonight because some of the things I'll be teaching you this evening are just fall in line with what we hope to teach you and encourage you about at the workers' conference. And the staff and I are very, very excited about it. If you get among any of the staff men, we're very, very excited. The ladies, we're very, very excited about the conference and just some of the topics and what will be covered. And really, it's a time of tooling us up and strengthening us. And those of you who are working, if you can, any way you can get that Friday afternoon off to attend it, those sessions, it's just going to give, kind of give us a gauge in terms of how to grow our church and build it up in the Lord there. 1 Corinthians 1, say amen if you're there. 1 Corinthians 1, first three verses, then we'll go quickly to Acts 18. Paul, and notice this next phrase, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now he didn't call himself, he was called of God. That's very, very important there. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Unto the church of God. And I want you to make a notation in your notes there. This is a local church. It's not a universal church. This is a local church. The church, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. It's at a local assembly, a visible local assembly of saved, baptized people. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Notice this. To them are called to be saints. And uh, let's see. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And before I go to verse 3, underline or circle the word sanctified and the word saints because that, that's gonna, those are two very important words that you're going to find recurring over and over again in our, in our study of 1 Corinthians. And then also, I'll, when I get to that, I'll explain the, the history of the word saints that leads to the word holiness and how God gave us that word in our Bible there. Then verse 3, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That being said, let's go to Acts 18 very quickly. Acts 18. <clears throat> Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, what things? Well, listen to this. After these things, departed, uh, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now, Athens was a walking distance away. When I say walking distance, it's not like from the main building to here. I mean, he had to walk a little bit there, okay? I mean, it's like, it's, a, it's, it's quite like, you're, you know, for them, a normal walk would be about 50 miles, okay? That's a normal walk for them. But... Uh, Paul left Athens with the determination to go to Corinth, and that's very important here. Corinth is modern-day Greece. You might want to might make a note there. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, He abode with them, and he wrought, for by their occupation 
they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his his raiment, and he said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered to a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And I love this part here. Finally, souls were getting saved. Amen? Stay at it, soul winner. People get saved. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. This spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. I want to preach you a message tonight entitled, Confronting Corinth. We need to confront our Corinth. We, have, we live in a Corinth. We live in a Corinthian society. We need to confront our Corinth. And I want us to see tonight as we start our, our series on 1 Corinthians, we want to go back in time to when the birth and the origin of this church and seeing how God used Paul to birth that church and how he confronted his Corinth. Father, now we have read your word and I pray that, Lord, every word that we read would purify our hearts. The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And that every word we've read will be got a, a filtering, a fuller soap, washing us, refining us, scrubbing us, embedding our hearts and our thoughts like when we go onto the internet and cookies go onto our, our computers to refresh itself. When we go back to the same place again, I pray that, Lord, that you'd embed not cookies, but scripture, deep parts, portions of scripture into our hearts. Give us some unforgettable things about the word of God tonight. I pray this evening that while all of us have come off, many of our people here tonight, probably 99% of them, are coming off busy week, hard work, stress, worries, anxieties, health concerns, family burdens, and so many other things. That, Father, in the midst of all this tonight, clear our, our, clear our thoughts and hearts. And I pray tonight that the pure word of God would speak to us as we humble ourselves before you tonight. And though we may have read these passages many times, Lord, help us to treat it tonight as if the very first time we've read it. And Lord, I pray you'd feed our soul. pray you build us up in the word of your grace. And build us up upon our most holy faith. Holy Spirit, we pray you take control. And Lord, I pray for Christ to be exalted. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're in a new study on Wednesday nights to first and then ultimately second Corinthians. I don't know how long we'll take. It may be shorter than first and second Thessalonians. I'm not sure that some of uh, the topics I'll talk about tonight we'll be studying are, are pretty intriguing and they probably deserve more than just one particular service or Bible study on them. We'll see what happens there. But our theme I really want to take is from 1 Corinthians 10 31, 
God glorified. Our, our theme for this year for the church is only God. And I just felt fitting that on all the books I'm preaching through, and I think we're doing that through all of our, our different ministries, is to have some semblance of just the emphasis on God. And so for 1 Corinthians, our, our theme will be God glorified. Uh, our theme for the book of Isaiah is behold your God. And our theme through the book of Revelation is our God reigns. Now, I want you to notice some things about 1 Corinthians as we study this book. And you might want to write some notes down tonight. First thing we're going to see when we get into the study of 1 Corinthians is God is holy. We must not miss that. God is holy. And one of the great emphasis we have to, have to look at in our study of only God is the holiness of God. And we'll touch on that a little bit this coming Sunday as we're, we'll be over in Isaiah chapter 6. But a second thing we'll see in 1 Corinthians is God who is judge. And we see some things mentioned about the judgment of God recurringly over and over again in 1 Corinthians. And specifically, the judgment of God upon his own people there, the, the, what we call the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, we're going to see in our study of 1 Corinthians the God of the church. And we must remind ourselves that if we're not very careful, we can let chaos and carnality rule our lives and rule how we, we order ourselves. And instead of God ruling the church, it's just disorder and chaos ruling the church there. Uh, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians that God is a God of order. He's a God of order there. Uh, we're going to see God who's glorified. As we look at 1 Corinthians, I want you to give, give you some notations here. 1 Corinthians deals with dysfunction. It deals with spiritual ignorance and spiritual immaturity in the church. And we have to come face to face with the fact that uh, 1 Corinthians is needed for us to understand what makes up a healthy church and, and how does a church become dysfunctional and how does a church become unhealthy and what are the marks of immaturity or the marks of carnality in a church. And so we're going to look at something that, recur that occurred in all the churches during the New Testament because all of this was unfolding and, and uh, you have to understand that you know, there were these multi-cultures and they were, they were make making up the church and they just didn't know how to blend among themselves and have unity. And we're going to see how the Bible teaches us through 1 Corinthians that conflicts in the church are very real. By the way, conflict and families are real, real. And what are the conflict resolutions we must seek? Uh, we're going to be answering the question, are you spiritual or are you carnal? How do you know? How do you know if you're spiritual? According to the word of God, how do you know if you're carnal? Uh, we're going to look at church discipline, discipline the church, and why that is a cleansing factor, and why God emphasizes and makes mention, gets, dedicates not just one chapter, but several verses to this matter of, of, of that. Uh, we're going to look at the matter of lawsuits and litigation. Uh, is it okay for a Christian to sue? Under one context, can he sue? Should you sue? Uh, can you sue another Christian? We're going to look at litigation among believers. Uh, we're going to look at the the subject which a lot of people don't want to touch on, but needs to be touched on, that is marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And that's found here in 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to see some things about that. In fact, there's some very pithy things and some very pointed things we need to see about marriage itself that gets overlooked a lot, I think. And sometimes, unless you're, you're in the privacy of marriage counseling, you don't really understand that. But there's some, some deep, deep things. And there's some of those things I probably just pull the married couples out to talk to them about that a little bit there, just because there's some sensitive factors, I think, that just belong with married people on that. Um, we're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in anticipation of that, <coughs> I want to encourage you, we'll encourage you to get a book uh, that you might want to read. So for some of you who are struggling just to understand uh, the, about, about the charismatic movement and about the sign gifts, and uh, there's a, a, a book I'll be recommending that you probably should have. It's uh, one, one of the few books I recommend by this particular author. But uh, you know, we're going to deal with the, just talking about what does the Bible have to say about the sign gifts? Do, do the gifts of tongues, healing, and prophecy still exist today? And what does the Bible mean about all that? Uh, we're going to look at, the, at an issue that Paul devoted an entire chapter to. Did Jesus Christ really rise from the dead? And the 
doctrine of the resurrection. And why did Paul have to devote an entire chapter to that? And again, we have to realize during that first century that there was a, that was, that was really the crux of their preaching there to testify of the resurrection of Christ. And then pulling all that together, we're going to look at what does it mean to glorify God? And I think that's a very important as we look at all of these things, we must remind ourselves, what does it mean to glorify God? Now, as we look at this, I want you to notice in Acts chapter 18, which is where we're going to be at tonight, we're going to see Paul confronting Corinth. But we're not only going to see Paul confronting Corinth, we're going to see the fact that the book of 1 Corinthians pulls you and me to confront our sins, to confront our needs, to confront who we are, to confront our insecurities, to confront dynamics that go on in the church and how to deal with that. Now, Paul's going to the city of Corinth. As we'll see here, Paul was over in Athens. He, was, he had started in his second missionary trip or tour in the area of Macedonia. And he went through three cities that established thriving churches. He was there, in, he started in Philippi, moved to Thessalonica, and uh, from there, of course, a lot of a lot of what you have to read is you understand that we, we we understand a lot of truths that are written in Philippians and, and Thessalonians that help us in all matters of the Christian life. And then he went down to Berea, and then from there he traveled south or down into the area of Achaia, which made up Corinth and and so forth there. And he went to Athens first. And you might want to make notation while he was at Athens. Athens was the intellectual center of the world. And we find Paul there preaching his great message on Mars Hill and dealing with these intellectuals and philosophers there. And uh, the Bible says that the reaction they gave to him in verse 32 is the following. It's in chapter 17, verse 32. It says, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Paul wasn't received very well. He was mocked. He was basically uh, just... Uh, they really didn't give much heed to him. They uh, disputed with him. They said, well, we'll think about it again. And Paul could tell that he had just hit, some, he just hit a wall there. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, the Holy Spirit did not incline Paul to stay there. And Paul, now Paul was pretty bullheaded. I have to tell you that. Paul was pretty bullheaded, but Paul didn't stay there. And the Bible says in verse 33, so Paul departing from among them, and that takes us to chapter 18, verse 1. Now, thank God he stayed there long enough, and he preached hard enough that there still were some people that got saved. And we find that in chapter 17, verse 34, we read about uh, this person named Dionysius, uh, the Arepia guide, and a woman named Damaris, and they must have been uh, key personalities that helped launch and help uh, nurture that church there at Athens. And it says others with them. And so there were people that did get saved down there at Athens, and he left a work there that, that someone else followed up on. But Paul was now down in this area of Greece, and he went from the intellectual center of the world to, if you would, he went to the, the cultural center of the world. He went to what some people would call the, 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 would call the, the, the vanity fair of, of the world at the time. And Corinth, if you understand where Corinth was strategically located, Corinth was an isthmus. It was a map. We could show the map there. It was basically an isthmus uh, there. And, uh, and basically, you, 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 it, it had two harbors. It had two ports on both ends. And people get, it was a strategic location that people get to from north and south, a strategic location people get to from east to west. It was a major, major port center. Now, major port centers are where sailors come and trade comes. Uh, there's a lot of import, export. It's very big in terms of things happening there. And Corinth was very well known for that. Corinth was known as the bridge of Greece because of its, its, its strategic location for commerce. It was also called the marketplace of Greece. It was famous for the Ismithian Games, which was second to the Olympics there. So sports was very big. Commerce was very big. 
Nightlife was very big, as we'll see in a minute. Shopping was very big. It's kind of like people want to just pop on a JetBlue airplane and wanted to take a trip overnight to go to New York City and spend a weekend there. That's kind of what people would do there. Or you might even call it worse than that. It was kind of the Las Vegas or worse than the Las Vegas of the world, at least Las Vegas before they try to sanitize a little bit. There's even such a thing like that, okay? But uh, in Corinth here, Corinth did not have a good reputation. If, if you wanted to degrade somebody, if you wanted to insult somebody, you'd call them a Corinthian. To call somebody a Corinthian basically would, be, would be saying that they were very lustful, they were debaucherous, they were a person that had no scruples, they're a person that there they was very, very immoral there. And uh, the Corinthian, the, the, I put this down, the word Corinthian came into the English language to describe in Regency times a reckless, bo- a roistering buck. It just describes somebody that was very unhinged and somebody that was, uh, that was, that was unrestrained in their, in their desires there. Um, if in Greece, if they, if they did a play, if they showed a Corinthians, he was always shown drunk. People drunk a lot there. Uh, there was all kinds of immorality. In fact, as we get to 1 Corinthians 6, Paul makes some very strong statements, contrary to what a lot of people understand. He makes some very strong statements about sinful behavior. Inclusive of that would be all forms of homosexual behavior there, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 here. Paul went into the vanity fair of the world. He knew going into that city he would be entering a culture of darkness he knew going into that city he knew that when he wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 6 he knew that he'd be walking in where there was spiritual wickedness in high places he knew going into that place that there was evil there he knew going into that place that he would have a rough road ahead of him he knew it would not be easy he knew it would not be a walk in the park he knew he would face much much difficulty there and so Paul there goes down to the Corinth and uh, he's confronting it. And I want you to understand as we get to chapter 18, verse 1, Paul is all by himself. You need to make, mention, make note of that. Paul is all by himself. Now, one of the traits about Paul of being a called church planner, whether he had a team or he did not have a team, he obeyed the call of God. Now, today, I'm not against teams. I think having teams is great. I like having teams. I think it's great to have a team to do things. I think teamwork makes the dream work, as we said. But, but there are times when the calling of God's upon you, it not doesn't necessarily mean that the team is called just like the leader is called. Paul had a calling of God to go to Corinth there. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute. If you knew that the most wicked city of your time that had no gospel preaching church, no Baptist church, no representation, and you knew that it had a, a very large population, and you knew that it drew visitors, and you knew that it had all kinds of things going on there, and you knew that, that there, were just, there were just bad things there, and it was not a good place to raise your city, would you even consider going there as a church planter to start a church? Would you even consider that today? I mean, when we think about all the places to go to, I, I get amazed sometimes when I hear a young men talk about, or older men talk about where they've been called to start churches. I'm kind of amazed how they come to those conclusions. And I'm not saying that these places they choose are, are, not, are not noteworthy of someone going there, but I'm wondering where are the men that need to go to the large cities and large commercial areas and reaching those areas for Christ, even if it would be a suburb of that city there. And Paul went there knowing exactly what he's going into, but as we'll see tonight, Paul decided he was going to face his Corinth. Now, if you'll notice chapter 18, verse 1, it wasn't God's will for him to stay long in Athens. He stayed there long enough to sow the seed, but bear in mind, he was a church planter. He was a missionary church planter, and it just was not in his blood, it was not in his makeup to stay at any one location very long. It wasn't God's will for him to stay long in Athens. It was God's will for him to go there, to get something stirred up, to get something started, to move on from there. Paul's in Greece. This is the Vanity Fair. This is where it all happens there. He's at the place where Corinth was. Corinth was on his heart. 
Paul is confronting Corinth. Now, as I mentioned earlier, for those who just got in, when I started working on my, my, my study and message for tonight, I actually had so much stuff that I really had to break this up into two parts, or otherwise we'd be here all night tonight because it's just, I got really fired up about this. So I'm going to give you the first part of the message tonight. We'll continue the second part next week. We might end a little bit early. I don't know tonight. I took a little extra time to give you kind of the background in, in this introduction so you kind of have an idea where we're going tonight. But I want you to think with me tonight about Paul being a Corinth and this introduction. First of all, I want you to notice verse 1, we see a bit biblical calling. We see a biblical calling, and sometimes when I preach these kind of messages, I like to reference this, and I want all the young men here tonight, especially in single men, and, and men that feel even maybe that God's working your heart about the ministry. I want you to hear, hear me out tonight for a few things about the biblical calling, and we'll be probably saying some things about that in the workers' conference. I think, let, let me just say this and park this here tonight, I think all the staff guys would agree with me. I believe every man, listen to me tonight, guys, tonight, look up here, guys, every man tonight, every man should be open to the calling of God. Every man should be open to saying, God, here am I, send me. Every man should have a desire to be a preacher of the word of God. Every man should be challenged. I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm not going to be bashful. I'm not going to be shy. I'm not going to walk in eggshells. We're going to make, we want to make it very well known. We want men and are praying for men to be called to the ministry. Men surrendering their lives to be gospel preachers. Because the solution for this world is we need gospel preachers. We need men of God who will go out with their hearts aflame and decided in their heart that God can use them to do something there. Now, Paul, notice verse 1. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now I'm going to take a little time this evening to talk about the calling because we need to understand the elements of a calling. And we need to understand, how do I know if I'm called? A young man called me the other day. I was sharing with some of the staff men. A young man called me the other day and he said this today and he doesn't come to our church. He said, Pastor Fong, I was wondering if I could come to you for counsel and was hoping you could be a mentor to me. And I said, it's fine. I said, I'm flattered you'd even ask me. But I said, my first question is, do you know what a mentor is and what your mentor should be doing? Because I said, if you want me as a mentor, a mentor is going to sometimes, has to sometimes tell you what you don't want to hear, and a mentor is going to be a little rough on you. I said, do you want that? Because I said, before you engage, you better decide that's what you want there. I said, secondly, yeah, he made this statement. He said, well, I just, I know in my heart I'm supposed to be a pastor. And I said, how do you know that? And I started just kind of grill him on the test on that a little bit there, and, uh, and gave him some things to think about. And, and I think after about five or ten minutes, he was a little bit overwhelmed with some of the, the biblical things I gave him. And I said, now, what you probably should do is go back and spend some time prayer and fasting, about what we just talked about before you jump into this thing because I said, all you've seen are works that have been successful. You've not seen the start of things and you've not really, you've not really had to work for something there. It's all been given to you. So I said, you need to consider this. And I want you to consider tonight a biblical calling. And ladies, I want you to listen. Don't, don't zone me out. I said, ladies, I want you to hear this tonight here because it's, it's good too. But Paul had a calling of God. Now Paul testified clearly of his calling as a preacher and as a missionary church planner. First of all, we know from the very words of Gamaliel because Gamaliel was sent to give him to give him his 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 his, call, his calling there. No, not Gamaliel, but uh, over there in Acts chapter nine, he was given his calling there. And you'll notice in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says this, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so God comes to this, this, this man, there's this Christian there down there at Damascus, and he tells him, I want you to be the vessel. And this was a man who himself was living for God, who himself was holy and could convey a right message. And he was to convey the message to Paul, and he called him Brother Saul. He said, Saul, he says, this is what you're going to tell him. Saul, go your way. He says, you are a chosen vessel unto me. There was a specificness that God had for him. And he said, you are to bear my name, notice, before Gentiles, 
kings and the children of Israel. One of the things I really love about the book of Acts is when we see the, um, the unfolding of the book of Acts, Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. By the way, you and I are here tonight because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, amen? Thank God he went to Gentiles, non-Jews, all right? And, he, and, and we see here he goes to the Gentiles, and then we get into Acts 23 to 26, he's pre- and actually, actually to Acts 28, he's preaching to kings, he's preaching to leaders, and then later on we see him preaching to all of the Israelites here, okay? Now, Paul, by his own testimony, notice Acts 26, verses 16 to 19. Acts 26, verses 16 to 19, Paul in his own words about his calling. He was testifying here, and he said, but rise, he said, God told me this. He said, rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which I have seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Now, I want you to notice God appeared to him, it was very clear to him in this appearance, this vision, that he was called to be a preacher. And something else that was said here in verse 16. God said, I will make thee a minister. I will make thee. Did you know something? We are all in the process of being made by God. God, we're all a work in progress. God is making us what he wants us to be because we are prone to mistakes. We're prone to self-will. We're prone to getting our dream ahead of God's dream. We're prone to going ahead of God. And so God many times has to put things in our place to get us to step back and realize unless he's in the lead that it's not gonna happen. And so God was telling him, I've got, I'm gonna make you a minister and a witness of these things. And he said in verse 17, to deliver thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And he said in verse 18, this is important, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now I appreciate that calling of Paul because it's very clear. He was called to preach the gospel. He was called to deliver men from, from darkness and turn them to light, to open their eyes. Preaching is to open their eyes. Starting churches is to open their eyes. We're to pierce, punch some holes into the darkness there. He said to deliver them from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's your mission statement there in your calling. And so he told Agrippa in verse 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly, the heavenly vision. So notice some things about a calling. Number one. A calling is a divine selection by God for his purposes. A calling is a divine selection by God for his purposes. It is God's calling on a man's life. It is not a consideration. It is a command. It is not a job. It is a journey. It is not a career. It is not a calling. If you're thinking about going to ministry because everything looks well to you and you think everything, that everything that glitters is gold, it is not that. It must be a calling of God. It is, not, it is not a consideration. It is a clear command of God. Spurgeon said this, the ministry needs the very best of men and not those who cannot do anything else. And I appreciate that thought from Charles Spurgeon there. Now, notice the essentials of a calling. Notice the essentials of calling. Letter A, which you notice tonight, it is God's permission. When God calls a man, he's given that man a permission to represent him. He has God's approval on his life to represent him. That does not mean he's a perfect man. And that does not mean he, needs, he does not need correction. And that does not mean he doesn't have rough edges God has to smooth out. And that does not mean that he's got it all together. And that does not mean that all of his gifts are fully developed. And that does not mean he's an articulate preacher like a Charles Spurgeon would be. But it does mean this. He has the approval of God on his life to represent and serve God. And he also has known the approval of God. But when he's called to be a pastor of a church, his approval of the local church pastor that has led that church to call him and the local church itself, he has the approval of God. Number letter B, there's not only the permission of God, but notice there's the pressure of God. God puts a pressure on the heart of a man who has a calling of God. 
Uh, Jeremiah said, his word was in my heart as a fire shut up in my bones. Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach out the gospel. Paul had to tell Timothy. He said, Timothy, I know it's there. But he said, stir up the gift of God which is in thee. What is the gift of God? The gift of preaching. The gift of pastoring. He said, stir up the gift of God that is in thee, which is given through the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And he drew Timothy back to that day, that holy day in which there was the laying on of hands when he was set apart, set apart publicly through an ordination service before the church of the living God. And he was set apart through ordination as a preacher and then ultimately to be called as a pastor there at the church, to the church there at, at, at Ephesus. Let me say this tonight. You know you're called to preach when all you can think about is preaching, when all you can think about is the word of God, it's on your heart, it's on your mind. You live and breathe preaching. You live and breathe people. You live and breathe doing the things of God. You can't think of anything else. There's a resilience that God gives you. There's a long suffering God gives you. There's an endurance God gives you. There's an unction God gives you. He gives you something unusually that's unusual to everybody else. There's just a pressure that God puts on a man's heart about the preaching of the word of God. Spurgeon said this, if a man be truly called of God to the ministry, I would defy him to withhold himself from it. I like that statement because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I, it's where I'm at in my life right now. I wonder that at night sometimes and early in the morning, what would I do if I wasn't preaching? And be honest with you, I think I'd die. If I wasn't preaching, I think I would die because I live it and I breathe it and I think it and that consumes me of it. He said, if a man truly be called of God to the ministry, I would defy him to withhold himself from it. A man who is really, uh, a man who is really within him, the inspiration of the Holy Ghost called him to preach cannot help it. He must preach. That was said by Spurgeon. And then I want you to notice, let her see the particulars of this calling. Now there are particulars of this calling. He must have God's approval. He will have God's pressure upon his heart. But I want you to consider the particulars. Number one, as we said earlier, he's called to preach. He's called to preach the word. Now, now thank God God has given the gift of teaching to, 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 to people. And that gift of teaching needs to be used. I think it, it's, it's, a, it's a gift that God uses to edify his church. It's not to promote someone else or to promote ourselves. It's a gift to help, to help further the cause of Christ and the build of the church and the extension of the pastor's ministry. But, he, but notice in Paul's case, the particulars were called to preach, but the particular was also to plant. He was called to plant churches. He was called to start churches. Everywhere we have listed, and there are many, many places that we haven't even talked about yet, where Paul went, there were churches that were established and planted, and God used them. Here's a calling to preach. There's a calling to plant. There's a calling to a people. Here, Paul was called specifically to the Grecian people, to the Jews, and the Grecians there at the city of Corinth there. He was called to minister for a period of time there at Corinth. He was called to people. But I want you to notice something else. There's the call, the particulars involve a call to preach, and a call to plant, and a call to people, but was also called to produce. He was called to produce. I'm thankful that every place we read that there were converts, not Paul's converts, but God's converts that God gave him. He was called to produce results there. Acts 13, 2, as we consider the calling of God that led to Paul going now from being, being an associate or assistant pastor there down at Antioch. There now he's being led out into the mission field as a church planner. And notice very distinctly the Spirit of God fulfilling all these things. There is the, there is the permission, there's the pressure in the particulars. Notice it says in Acts 13, 2, and they ministered to the Lord, and they fast, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. That's talking about Paul and his four other colleagues that were the preachers and leaders of that uh, of, of the church there at Antioch. The Bible says they were serving and they were fasting. The Holy Ghost said, not they said. They didn't have a pastoral meeting. They didn't have a they didn't have a a, a discussion. They didn't ask for for input. The Holy Spirit supervised. The Holy Spirit was in control, and the Holy Spirit said, "Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work." 
whereunto I have called them. There was agreement there. And the agreement came because the Holy Spirit was the one doing the leading. He said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work when they're called. I just have learned something along the way. If a man feels he's called to somewhere and his pastor's heart doesn't feel the same, I doubt very seriously that man's gonna last very long in that work there. And I just say this to you tonight because it's very, we have to be very, very careful that we're not being led of our heart. There must be concurrence between the pastor, the church, as well as the one being called there. Spurgeon said this, you must be fitted to lead, prepared to endure, and able to persevere. And I thought that's a great statement from, from him. So notice tonight as we look at verse 1, Paul is, 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 is the calling of God. He's now moving on. He's gone, he's gone through Macedonia, and now he's finding himself down here in the area of Greece, and he's at the city of Corinth there. He's probably thought about Corinth. He knows there's no independent Baptist churches down there in Corinth. He knows that he's got his work cut out for him. He knows as far as he's concerned, he might be the only one down there because Paul, uh, because Timothy and Silas were not with him. They were still over there in Thessalonica, in, in the area of Macedonia, ministering to the churches of Thessalon Thessalonians. In fact, when they come to him, I believe when we find a passage of scripture, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 11, or, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11 or 2 Corinthians 12, it talks about uh, Silas and Timothy coming and bringing a love gift to Paul from, uh, uh, from, from the church of Thessalonica. I believe that, that that's what happens right here in 1 Corinthians 18. I think he's referring back to that time when they came from Thessalonica, brought a love gift uh, to him for there. So Paul's there. So Paul's going there, and I want you to notice as we get to point number two, Paul is by himself. I will tell you tonight, he was a little bit lonely. He was all alone. He was on this long walk to Corinth. It was many miles away. He's walking there. He's had a lot, a lot of time to think. And um, you'll notice this as he gets into Corinth with all the questions probably in his mind. I wonder who I'm going to find. I wonder how long it's going to take me to find a church. I wonder uh, to start a church. And I'm wondering when I start the church, how long I'll be able to stay there. Because every place he went to, he, wasn't, he didn't stay there very long. And it wasn't by his own choice. They drove him out. He said, I wonder what kind of persecution I'm going to have. I mean, he had all these things that went through his mind. He was kind of wondering what kind of conference would I see? How long will it take? He probably had these questions. And probably there was a mixture of excitement and a little bit of apprehension inside his heart. I mean, you're like that and I'm like that. We go somewhere new, there's excitement, but there's apprehension. We start something new, there's excitement, there's apprehension. And Paul's going there, and I want you to notice number two, God gives him a bonded connection. God gives him a bonded connection. And while he's there, and we're not told what period of time it was, but I just see God leading him. I just, I just see Psalm 37, 23 in this word. The Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And I think about Proverbs 16, where it says, a man's heart uh, devises his way, but the Lord directed his steps. And God was directing the steps of the Apostle Paul. And this is, was, a, was a confirmation that God was giving to him, that he was in the right place at the right time with the right people, that God was confirming his heart. It was the right thing for him to do, to be down there, Corinth, because as soon as he was there, Within a matter of time, God gave him a connection, and the connection was to a, 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 a Jewish couple that were up in Pontus. Now, I'll say more about Pontus when we, when we talk about Achille and Priscilla in more detail. But Pontus, if you look on a map, was way up in that northern area by Bithynia, back where, where Paul originally went. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, he wanted to go up to Bithynia. He wanted to go eastward, uh, northeastward into Asia, and God forbid him. And it was there, Pontus is that, it was right up there in Bithynia. Well, if you go to Acts chapter 2, Pontus is also the area where we read of many, many Jews coming from different area and men that heard the apostles speak in their own tongues. Pontus was represented there in Acts chapter 2. It's very likely that the men that got saved there, this gets me fired up, the men that got saved there down in Pontus uh, went over there, went back to their city and told people what they heard and people got saved and they influenced them. And somewhere along the way, it could very well be Achille and Priscilla got saved there in Pontus because they may have heard the gospel there and then all, for whatever reason, God let this wonderful godly couple, and they were a godly couple, and they were a good couple. God led them down there to Italy, down there to Rome, and they were there with a cluster of Jews that 
that were born again, that were saved. And these Jews were causing some trouble there. And you can read this in Josephus' writings there. Where, where basically the, the, the king there, the, the, the emperor Claudius, he basically said, you know, there, there, there's a certain Christus that they're preaching about, which is Jesus Christ. And we've had to tell these Jews, they have to leave Rome. They have to leave Italy. We want them to evacuate. We're clearing them out. We're telling them we're not renewing their visas. They're not allowed to stay here. They're, they're leaving there. And so the, this couple that was among, were among these, 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 these uh, Jewish believers that got saved, who, had, who, were, who were stirring up things and, and leading people to Christ there, and most likely were part of a church there, they, they're now they find themselves in Corinth because Corinth was not very far away from there. And so Paul's there. And well, I don't know how it happened. Perhaps he was in a marketplace. Perhaps he went by in that marketplace. He saw this couple making some tents there. And he started talking about it because they had something in common there. And as he started, they started talking. Notice what it says there. It says, he found a certain Jew named Achilla, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And he came unto them. And Paul brought, brought, brought them together. And uh, this, this meeting, they became friends of a lifetime. They, they just had, they were people that had like precious faith and they started talking and started sharing their stories and started realizing their testimonies were the same and that they, and they, and that Jesus was in their, both their hearts and Christ was real. And these precious, precious couple became a couple that stayed with Paul and became very precious co-laborers that God gave him. I'm just to tell you tonight, it's a wonderful thing that God gives co-laborers and it's a wonderful thing God raises up couples and people that want to serve alongside their preacher and help get the work of God done. I travel a little bit I'm just, I, it excites my heart when I see pastors who have married couples and people that are alongside of the preacher church helping advance the work of God and getting the work done. It excites me seeing people that grab onto the, 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 the biblical example that's given here. And the Bible says that they became good friends and they worked together and did things. They were bonded. There was a bonded connection. Let me encourage you tonight. As we go through our study of 1 Corinthians and when we get to that very difficult part there in chapter 1 and chapter 3 where there were factions and seditions and divisions and heartache and, and division there. May I encourage us tonight as a church that we just really bond in 2000 that we really bond in our connection. I mean, really solid workers together. I mean, agreeing together and making whatever sacrifice we can to advance the cause of Christ and serve the Lord and do things together. I want to encourage you tonight, if you've not done so, make a determination, make a decision tonight to come to that workers' conference, always abounding workers' conference, for no other reason to be encouragement to a younger Christian, and for no other reason to get your tools sharpened once again, to get your hoe sharpened, and to get your sword sharpened, and get your pick sharpened, and get your mind sharpened, your, your soul sharpened through the word of God. There. And so they were, they were bonded together. Notice they were bonded by devotion. They, they, they had a like precious faith. I like how Peter talks about that in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. They were similar in the work. They were both tent makers. The Bible says in verse, verse, uh, verse 3 there. Um, Paul found them and he came to them. And, uh, uh, and Paul discipled them. We read about that later on. In fact, they were so thoroughly discipled in the word of God. They became instrumental in helping Apollos along the ways we'll see in a, in a future message there. So they were bonded by devotion. Notice very quickly, they were bonded by domicile. They in invited Paul to live with him. Look what it says there. He says uh, in, in, verse, in verse 3, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and he wrought. Uh, he abode with them. He lived with them. They invited him to live in the house. I want you to understand, when, when, when Paul left out, the whole concept of faith promised missions, where missionaries today, they go out and raise support, they tell their, their story to a lot of churches. And they try to get hundreds of churches praying for them. And probably at the end of the day, they'll probably the average church, uh, church planner mission will have 50 to 80 churches supporting them. And uh, something like that nature there. And whatever that number may be. If they're out for two, three years, they'll probably have that many. And, uh, and, and they, they have these churches supporting them. I mean, they, 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 so they go without any financial concerns and worries for the most part there. And they've already decided they have to have a financial accountability. And they provide to the mission board, to their mission church, any church, kind of what their, what their lifestyle needs will be. 
and, uh, and the church will work with them on that, then they go out. But in those days, they didn't have that. They didn't have that sophistication. That concept, they had not arrived there yet. And they were still, it was all, it was all just kind of uh, occurring at that time. And so maybe what Paul did when they went out, he may have just had a little bit that he saved up. And uh, Paul maybe may have had a love offering or two. We're not really sure he had that. But we do know this, that Paul went out. And I think as he got to Corinth, because he had been, spent some time in Athens, and before there was Berea, I think he was homeless. I believe, in fact, I know he was homeless when he got there. He was homeless, and he was penniless. He had no funds. He had no money. He had nothing there. That's why I was encouraging. We read later on, when, when, when Silas and Timothy come to him, the Bible says he was pressed in spirit. I think he was encouraged in his heart because they brought a love offering that represented that the church of Thessalonica had thought about him and cared for him and, and took up enough offering to help sustain him and get him along the way. And if I know anything about Paul, he probably just used it to help the rest of the team. But Paul was there, and he lived with them, and they took care of him. They fed him. They helped him. They, they, they brought him into their business, and they said, listen, you can share space with us, and whatever tents you make and you sell, that's yours. We won't, we we're not going to take up on your market share on that. They didn't have a covenant to compete or anything like that. They just said, why don't you come alongside, and we'll work together. And Paul said, I can do that. And Paul, Paul did that because Paul realized that they had something common there. He lived with them, and that was a good thing. And they didn't become enemies. They became good friends. So they were bonded by domicile. Now, notice this. We'll read later on in Romans chapter 16. They were bonded through danger. Later on, we read about this, this remarkable statement about Achille and Priscilla. The Bible says they laid down their necks for him. Now, can I ask you a question tonight? Would you lay down your neck for a fellow church member? What risk would you take for the church? Would you lay down your neck for a fellow church member? Would you lay down your neck for a guest preacher here? You see, when you look at Achille and Priscilla, the Bible makes a bold statement. Paul said, they lay down their necks for me. We check in, we check out. We don't want any risk. But they endure danger. And Paul, while he's there, notice in the first three verses, God is encouraging Paul. Paul, is con God is confirming his heart. This is where I want you to be. Paul's got time to walk all of Corinth, and it may be very well that Paul walked the entire isthmus where Corinth was at. He got more than a bird's eye view. Because one thing I didn't mention in the beginning, when you got into Corinth, you'd see the Vanity Fair. You'd see the shops, and you'd see the markets. You'd see all the modern-day amenities. But way, way in the back of Corinth, you'd see this hill that rose upwards as much as 1,800 feet above sea level. That hill was known as the Acropolis. The Acropolis is where the temple of Aphrodite was. Aphrodite was the goddess of the town. Aphrodite was the one that they worshipped. And Aphrodite had 1,000 priestesses that was under, it was that, that, that in that temple that worshipped. Those are the ruined remains. And those those priestesses would do their thing in, in the, for the worship of Aphrodite in the daytime. But at night, they would descend the hill they were at and walk down into the city to ply their trade as prostitutes. And prostitution ran rampant there. Paul knew when he was there what he was getting into. He saw the immorality. He saw the satanicness energizing the lusts of men and the lusts of women. He saw sin running rampant all over there. He saw drunkenness. He saw orgy, excuse me. He saw all of these things that were going on there. He saw violence. He saw 
saw children abandoned. He saw women that, had, that, that, had, that were unwed being pregnant. He saw all kinds of things that must have broken his heart. He saw people that were, were just down and out and messed up. And we'll see some of them. We get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 there. Paul saw all that. And Paul, instead of shying away, and Paul, instead of being critical about these things, during those, that, that embryo time, while he's down there at Corinth, God is working his heart. God is burdening his heart for this city. He's examined, do they have a synagogue here? And he found one. Do they have any other places assembly here? What's going on here? What are they worshiping? And he knew all these things because he was a very intelligent man. And we see Paul as God has a biblical calling in his life and God has given him a bonded connection. Notice as we close tonight, we see a burning compelling in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Paul is burning in his heart because while he's making tents, that's not what he's called to do. He's called to preach the gospel. Paul was not called to sit there in the marketplace and chit chat with people even though that was okay in terms of just maybe drumming up some prophecy. Paul was called to preach the gospel. Paul was called to confront Corinth. Paul was called to plant a city, a church there. And so notice, Paul is moved and compelled. And we'll notice in verses four and five, the calling of Paul. Paul was a man that was on fire for God. Paul was moved with a sense of urgency. Now, what was he compelled to do? And I'm going to give you two things. We'll close tonight. Notice, number one, he was compelled to work. Verse three says that Paul... He abode with them and he wrought. Now Paul worked. Now he worked to sustain himself, but he worked. And I tell you tonight, the ministry is work. I don't have any problems calling our conference a workers' conference. God's people ought to work. Amen? The Bible says, Paul said, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. We, he was just saying here, look at, I, listen, they, they don't know what they're supposed to do. And this, this whole concept of faith promise is unfolding. They'll get it. Probably will take a couple generations before they get it. But he says, I don't have a problem working. The Bible says repeatedly he labored day and night to support himself and take care of the work of God. And he did that there. But God's people need to work. We need, he just decided he would not be charged with anyone. Work hard at what you do. Work diligently in what you do. Decide to work. Work is fun. God made us to work. God made us to labor. And I realize there's some, there's ter- periods of time we need to rest. And there are periods of time we need to just catch our breath. But he was called to work. I want to encourage you tonight and ask this question. Do you work? Do you work hard? Do you work productively? Are you just going in circles? Or are you producing results? I'm just saying tonight, Paul was called to work. He wrought with them. And as he did so, he started to develop, God started to develop a strategy in his mind of how he's going to reach this area. He was, so he was compelled to work. But notice in verses 4 and 5, he was called, compelled to witness. Notice his witness that we're given here. The Bible says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that, that, that Jesus was the Christ. Now, I want you to notice Paul and his witness for a little bit here. And I'm going to say some things we'll close off with. Every, every one of us knows Acts 1-8. Every one of us knows that in Acts 1-8, right at the beginning of the book of Acts, that God promised to send power through the Holy Spirit. And he called us to be witnesses. The word martorio. To testify of what we've seen. To testify of what Jesus Christ has done in life. You know, the best way to learn how to develop a, a witness is to write out your testimony and to testify what Jesus Christ has done in your heart. Everyone can give a testimony. The baseline of service for every Christian here tonight, the baseline for every church, is that we can all be a witness for Jesus Christ. Everybody can give out a gospel track. Can you hear an amen? Everybody can give a gospel track out. Everybody can give a witness. Everyone can invite somebody to church. Everyone can reach out to somebody there, okay? We can all do that. That's a, that's a wonderful thing there. But I want you to know some things about Paul. Notice first of all, he was consistent in his witness. Would you notice verse 4? He reasoned in the synagogue how often? Every Sabbath. He had to have a starting point. 
He didn't have a church, so he went where he could find people. He went where he found an assembly. He, he took advantage of, his, of his, his credentials as a as a visiting rabbi, and he went into the synagogue, and people down there, corners really didn't know him at that time. And so he got up, and he could articulate very well. He was trained under the feet of Gamaliel, and he got up, and he and testified, and, he, and as he did so, he started weaving into the gospel. And the Bible makes a mention there. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He was consistent in his witness. You know, the best way to be a good witness is to be consistent. Put down in your calendar what you're going to do. Plan out your week. I do this on Sunday afternoons. I'm planning out my week ahead of time. Where I'm going to go, who I'm going to see, what's going to happen there, how many witnesses I'm going to give, how many people I'm going to talk about Christ. Some weeks are very heavy, some weeks are a little bit lighter. But I'm going to tell you, every, you ought to have this, this, this consistency. Be consistent in your witness. Be consistent in the number of tracts you're giving out. You'll notice on the way in, we have that table filled with gospel tracts, and we're going to do that. We want you to grab a packet of tracts. There's anywhere from five to ten tracts in it. We want you to take some, and just determine your heart that at least you'll, you'll establish a habit. I'll give five to 10 tracks out. I'm not just going to leave it at a restaurant somewhere. I'm going to actually give it to someone. I'm going to have a face-to-face uh, confrontation with someone. Be consistent in your witness. Notice something else. Would you notice this? Paul was conspicuous in his witness. Would you notice verse 2, verse 4? He was in the synagogue. He was where people could see him. Hey, are you there at soul winning? You come and participate? Are you there consistently? Are you there? Are, are you, do you have new people you're bringing to church? I mean, he was conspicuous in what he was doing and getting people there. Are you there? I mean, I'm just saying tonight, Paul, Paul was conspicuous in, in his witness there. Something else, Paul contended in his witness. The Bible says he reasoned with them. In other words, he, you know, he brought it to the point where they asked questions. He brought it to the point where perhaps people were a little bit perturbed about him. And so, you know, he, he contended with them. He proved to them that Jesus was the Christ. He proved that Christ rose again from the dead. He spoke about the death on the cross. He reasoned with them. He just didn't tell them about things. He, he, he drew out of these people, uh, uh, he wanted to draw out of them what they were thinking, what they were hearing, so that he would have response there. So Paul was conspicuous, Paul was contented. But notice Paul was compelled in his witness. We see two words that the Bible uses to describe the compelling nature of the Apostle Paul. Notice, first of all, in verse 4, it says, he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. I like the word persuaded. Because you know what? In chapter, chapter 2 Corinthians 5.11, he uses that word again. And that you, the word is used quite often, I think about 15 to 20 times in the New Testament. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now what's he saying there? He made an earnest attempt to see people saved. He just didn't present the gospel, so I'll let you think about it. Now, there are places and times where we need to do that with certain people because maybe they, just need, they really do need some time. I mean, some of the country from atheists to country, we have to be very strong with them about the gospel. Realize they need some time to process it so we can come back and, and follow back on the material again. Then. But Paul here, he had reasoned with them for every Sabbath. He'd been there. He was convincing them, convincing them. And finally, he got to the point, why won't you get saved? Why won't you get saved today? And he, that led him to write 2 Corinthians 6 2. He says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. He persuaded them. He compelled them. He was compelled to persuade men. Don't, don't stop short of just explaining the gospel. I mean, persuade people. Be persuasive, if you would, there. And then notice the Bible, the Bible says this He persuaded men. And then when verse 5 comes, this is the part I was talking about earlier Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. In 2 Corinthians, we read about the fact that they brought this love gift to him. I think there's something about that love gift. It probably brought tears to his eyes that the, that the believers up at Thessalonica, Thessalonica cared about him and loved him. And so the Bible says that just kind of stirred him at that moment because he wasn't seeing fruit at that time. Because until we get to about verse 8, he's not seeing any fruit. He's there every Sabbath. He's preaching. And you know how it is. You, if you're witnessing for a long period of time, 
and nobody's getting saved and nobody feels compelled. You kind of wonder, is there something wrong with me? And, and you know, what, what's happening here? And, and so forth. And we start questioning ourselves. And is God working our hearts to make us pray and fast a little bit more about that situation? And so Paul, Paul was just encouraging. And the Bible says in verse 5, Paul was pressed in the spirit. That's where we get our word compelled from. He was pressed in the spirit. He was pressured in his heart. He felt convicted in his heart. He had to do more. He was pressed in the spirit. And he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Now remember, he's just restricted himself only to the Jews at that moment of time. He hasn't launched out to the Gentiles. We'll see that next week. He hasn't launched out to the Corinthian base there yet. I mean, he's just been dealing with the Jews because he, he loved the Jews. He said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel so that they might be saved. And he said, I wish myself a curse from, uh, for the Jews so that they can be saved. And so Paul will reach out to the Jews for it, but he was pressed his heart. He wanted to see his fellow kinsmen saved there. And so that gives us 2 Corinthians 5, 14. The Bible says, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Listen, the fire that keeps us going and so winning is this, this urgency, being pressed in our heart that we have to go. I must preach the gospel. I must tell others. I'm just being moved with fire about the fact that people are dying and going to hell. That should move us and compel us. We shouldn't just be always there at a, at a deathbed conversion type of thing, though there are many of those in a lot on our prayer page right now. We need to be there even if they're not in that place of being compelled that everyone needs to hear the gospel. The Bible says to preach the gospel to every creature. We need to get the gospel to everyone, anyone, all the time. We need to be cognizant of the fact everyone needs to hear about Jesus Christ. We need to be a gospel witness who persuades and is compelled in our heart to reach them. I close with this story. A girl, little girl got, came to a Sunday school just like our church. She went to a Sunday school class. It was a thriving church. It was a Baptist church to preach the gospel. Children were getting saved every week, and that was a blessing. They were getting saved, and the teachers were falling back up, and they were going to the parents' homes and telling them, hey, your kids got saved. We'd like to invite you to come to church and see what this is all about. And a little girl whose parents were already saved were so delighted that their five-year-old daughter got saved. Now, it's a wonderful thing. I love it when our church family says, hey, preacher, I just want you to know my daughter or son just got saved. One of them just told us that this week. They said their daughter just got saved. That's a blessing there. We love to hear the stories like that. And this little girl got saved. And uh, the mother and father sat down and talked about her salvation. They firmed up in her heart, gave her assurance of salvation. And they said, Jesus is in your heart. Jesus is in your heart. And she loved that. And she would always put her hand by her heart and say, Jesus is in my heart. And so then she started watching as a Sunday school teacher explained the gospel at the end of every lesson, how uh, children were getting saved. And so she wanted to know more about that. So she went home and told her mommy, daddy, I want to understand more. What, how, did, how do the teachers know how to explain Jesus? How do you tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you witness to other people? And mommy and daddy started sharing with her how to be a gospel witness. By the way, little children can be a witness too, amen? And so they started witnessing, teaching how to witness there. And so she just started, she started giving tracts out to her friends at school and started explaining to them that, that Jesus died for their sins and they were sinners, they need to get saved and they need to go to heaven. And, and she had friends who were curious about church and about getting saved and she brought them to church or getting saved. And then one day she came home and after Sunday school, mom, mama said to her, how are you doing today, Hannah? She said, mom, I'm doing really great. She says, how was Sunday school? She says, really great. She said, any kids get saved? Yes, I brought little Susie to church and Susie got saved and she said, that's wonderful. She said, mom, I think something's happening to me. She said, what? I think Jesus is no longer in my heart. And mommy said, what are you talking about? Jesus is no longer in your heart. She said, yeah, Jesus is no longer in my heart. Jesus is in my throat because I can't help but want to tell people about Jesus all the time. Now I want to just encourage us tonight. He's in our heart, but we need to get him in our throat too, amen? Test me of a little girl, a little five-year-old girl. He's in my throat because I want to tell Jesus, people about Jesus all the time. I tell you, when you get crusty, and stale, and cantankerous, and angry, and frustrated, it might be because it's been a long time since you witnessed to somebody. And I'll tell you, just one person a week, one person every two weeks, one person every month, that's not gonna cut it. Everybody needs to be a gospel witness. You ought to have the joy of the Lord in your heart. I took a man so many the other day, 
He's been through our soul winning training, and, and my wife wasn't feeling good on Saturday, so I said, hey, you stay home and get well. I'll take one of the men and train him out. And we went out, and I just, you know, we went to follow up on a family first. I said, well, let's, let's hit a street. I said, I got this family to follow up on. They came to church Sunday, and I want to find, figure out where they're at. And I found out they're at a street where there's a, uh, we have another family just started coming to our church a few months ago, and uh, they're coming, and, and, and one of the family members is not saved, and, and so they're right across the street from them, but the family went to see wasn't home, and he said, well, are we gonna, you said you have another family. I said, you know, I just, I said, the Lord's impressed my heart. I just, you know what, it's a nice day. Let's, let's, let's redeem the time. Let's, we got tra- a bunch of tracks. Let's just kind of camp as a street here. It's a big street, probably about 50 homes on this one, one area there, on this one, one that we're at. So we started knocking on doors. We got the third door, and just people were home. They were talking to us, and, and we, got, we got probably witnessed by five or six people, but the third Third door I got to, rang the doorbell, knocked on the door. Lady came to the door, and she was very, in fact, she was washing the dishes. Her kitchen's right there at the, right, right there at the door. And she looked at it, she smiled at, the, at, the, at my partner, and, uh, and he smiled back. And he said, Pastor, this lady's going to come to the door. So I said, I stepped back a little bit there. And she came to the door, she actually opened it up and opened the screen door. And she said, can I help you? And I said, what? Yes, ma'am. I said, this is, the, this is, uh, this is Thomas, and I'm, I'm, I'm Pastor Fong, and we're your neighbors from Heritage Baptist Church just up the street there. And, you know, I always like to tell people kind of where we're at there. And I said, you know what the Sears outlet is? And if they know where the Sears outlet is, there's a good connection. If they don't, you try to build that connection right there. And so we always tell them, well, the big landmark you might remember is Kaiser Hospital. And they say, yeah, I know where Kaiser's at. So they start telling about who we were. And they found out she's Cambodian. And, uh, and so we were talking. And I don't know how we got into it, but as we started talking a little bit, she says, you know, I came here many years ago. She said, I want to tell you, I went to such and such church. It was people from a church that helped me to get in this country. She said, I'll never forget. They took time for me. I was a refugee. And she said, they gave us clothes. They helped us get started there. And she said, you know, we went to church a little bit. I really didn't understand everything there, but I still remember the name of the pastor. They're very nice to me, and I thought, that's a blessing there. And she said, uh, you know, and I just tell you, I've been in this country, and she says, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. I've had cancer twice. And she kind of said that, and tears got in her eyes, and I said, well, ma'am, I just, you know, I, I, I thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate that. I said, you know, I, you and my wife have something in common. She's been down that road about three times there, and I wish she was here to talk to you a little bit this, this afternoon or this morning about that. And, and the Lord just kind of opened the door there, and and uh, the lady understood good English, and she'd worked here in this country and learned English and worked her way. And I started explaining the gospel to her a little bit there. And her name was Hattie. And I started explaining the gospel to Hattie a little bit and asked questions. And, and I wanted to make sure my so many partner was kind of catching it there a little bit because I wanted him to catch how we're doing it and how we asked the questions, things like that there. And the lady was just fully engaged with us. And uh, as we got into it, you know, just, the, just her heart was open up, kind of like Lydia in Acts chapter 16, that she was a woman whose heart the Lord opened. And it uh, wasn't long after that, as we explained the gospel to Hattie, that I said, Hattie, now, I said, can you think of any reason today why Jesus Christ should not be your Savior? She said, I can't think of a reason. I, she said, I, and so I went back over everything again. I said, now, do you understand you're a sinner? Do you understand what all this means? And we did about three times with her to make sure she understood the concept. She said, I do. I said, I said, do you see any reason today why you should not receive Jesus Christ your Savior? She said, no. And it was kind of like she's really saying, would you just tell me what to do? And I want to get saved right now. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, I don't know how long we took there, but I'm thankful that this lady trusted Jesus Christ her Savior. We've got literature right now in her language. I'm going to get back to see her later this week, my wife, to follow up with her. And I said, now, Hattie, I said, I, I want to pray with you and thank God that you, you trusted Christ today. But I said, listen, I said, uh, where's your husband at today? She said, well, he's actually home. I said, well, is he busy right now? She said, yeah, a little bit. I said, I want to come back. The circle's not complete till your husband gets saved. I want to come back and talk to your husband about the Lord. And I said, you work that out. When I come back, I want to tell your husband about Jesus and help him get saved there. And she had a big smile on her face. And you guys, my soul went apart. He'll, he'll tell you this. She had a big smile on her face. And we're just praying. I've been praying all this week that God will give us an opener to go back. I'm just saying, then we went to another door. 
And the lady was there, told me her name. I said, ma'am, I said, I said, can I stop for just a minute? I said, I, I have not met a lady with your first name in years. I, went to, I said, when I went to high school, I had three ladies with the same first name as yours in, in several of my classes. I have not run to anybody in years with the same first name. And I said, uh, it's just kinda, just, it just kind of brings back some memories of that. And she says, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. And she said, she told me about what church she came out of. She was disappointed in that church and what some things that have happened there and scandals and things like that. And I said, well, you know, that is sad. And I said, but I want to tell you, you know, uh, we have a Jesus that has no scandals about him, amen? And I just said, I want to let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. I started witnessing to her, and she received the word very well, and she said, I'd like you to come back. I said, we'll do that. And we just kind of made our rounds around there, and I don't know, we probably, probably talked by the time we finished that whole area, probably seven or eight different people. Just exciting day we had, and I said, he had to get back, and I had to get back, and I wanted to make a fault visit with somebody that got saved just a, a couple weeks ago on that. I'm just saying, you know, be consistent in your witness. It's a, there's an opportunity to reach people for Christ. And listen, there are going to be days, there are going to be times that you're going to talk to people, and they don't get saved. But that doesn't mean it was a bad day. I mean, if you could, I tell the staff all the time, as long as you had a chance to witness somebody, that's a blessing, amen? You get a chance to witness somebody. Listen, I, I don't talk much about this, but probably, probably in the last, the last 45 to 60 days, my wife and I could tell you this, probably the last 45 to 60 days, out of, out of probably 40 to 50 people we've got given the gospel to, I would probably tell you 40 of them are very hardened to the gospel. They just said, no, they're not ready. I'll come back another season, kind of what they gave to Paul here. And, I, you know, we don't talk much about that, but they're on my list, and I'm going to go back and see them because they need Christ, and, you know, we just have to pray for them. And, you know, but, you know, we've sown the seed, and, you know, and our conscience is clear as we'll see later on because we've given the gospel. Let me encourage you tonight. Have this burning compelling. Paul confronted Corinth. Let's confront San Leandro. Let's confront Oakland. Let's confront San Francisco. Let's confront our cities. There's a lot of things going on, but they need to be confronted with the gospel. Let's reach our area for Jesus Christ. Take some tracks with you when you go home tonight. Finish off this week inviting people to church. Get some people, try to, try to determine to have somebody in church this Sunday. And if they don't come, that's okay. At least you tried. But have this burning, compelling your heart. You're going to do something for the Lord. Paul knew he had a calling. And Paul went there, maybe discouraged, and Paul went there lonely, but God gave him some friends. And thank God tonight, this is not like when the church first started. We just had a handful of people. We've got a lot of friends here, a lot of people to assemble and get it done. And, and I think it's this Saturday, we have all church sowing. I want you there at all church sowing there so we can get it done and reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ.